CEOs Speak is an exclusive BitBeam podcast series featuring interviews of hundreds of skilled and talented CEOs who share their strategies for leading some of the country's most successful companies. Join Charlie Katz, our executive extraordinaire, as he uncovers the heart and soul of today's business leaders. Today we are fortunate to have Cindy DeVriasi, who we stole away from her vacation day, maybe the pool or the barbecue, I appreciate that. Uh, Cindy is the co-founder and president of 3D Communications, a company that specializes in helping corporate executives, Fortune 500 executives, uh, become better communicators. She is a, a former reporter for the CBS affiliates, both in Europe and America. She is also on the board of directors of the uh, of the uh, Consumer Healthcare Product uh, Society Association, and she is somebody who knows well about how to communicate. Good morning. How are you? Good morning. How are you? I'm doing terrific. A beautiful day here. You're located where? In Miami? No. Well, I, I go between Miami and Washington, D.C. right now. Uh, I'm in the Washington, D.C. area because uh, of COVID. Uh, I'm, finding it, I'm finding it a little bit safer there. So I'm, uh, I'm in Washington. Okay. Um, let me start. Uh, I'd like to start from the early. You, you, by 20, you, you were already uh, a reporter for CBS. But before that, what set you off in that direction as a child? Were you always communicating? Was there some, in, where did that interest start with you? Was it in the family, your parents? You know, it's funny. Um, you know, I, I grew up in an era where, and especially in a small town where uh, girls and women, you know, really didn't have a lot of, um, options and or at least they perceived they didn't have a lot of options for careers and so at the time uh it was almost everybody in my school who was a you know a, a young woman was either becoming a teacher or a nurse and i wasn't interested in either and so i really didn't know what i wanted to do and i so you're an early rebel well maybe i mean I, uh, interestingly enough it was my mother who said to me, have you ever considered television? You know, your cousin uh, is a director in TV news. Maybe you should consider television. And I thought, well, that sounds interesting. And so, um, and, and I did, I, ha I never had a fear of public speaking, so that really helped. Uh, and um, so I- Did you, did you perform as a youngster in school? No, I really didn't. I didn't perform as a youngster. I really didn't take the stage. Uh, so, I, but although I will say that, you know, when you look back on your life, you start to see clues and there were definitely some clues. So uh, the day I graduated, the, um, the, uh, my, one of my, my friends was the valedictorian of the class and she was an introvert. And um, that day, evidently, she developed stress laryngitis because oh. she was supposed to give the, the speech that night at, at, right. um, at mm -hmm. class night. And the principal came over to me and said, um, you know, she, she can't perform. Can you go on and deliver her speech? And I delivered her speech that day, uh, you know, just with no notice or anything. And it never occurred to me to be nervous about it. And so when you start to look back and see what you're naturally good at, <laughs> um, you start to see the clues and then you, you know, you trace it back. But, but yeah, that's how I got started. So I went to school for communications for radio and television. And, um, you know, it, fortunately for me, uh, back then, uh, title nine was, uh, very, uh, uh, active in terms of helping women get on the air and I got on the air and then that was, and that was that I loved it from the beginning. So obviously there takes a certain amount of confidence, uh, but it takes a lot more. There's a certain skill in reporting. I remember my uh, mother, rest in peace, our cousin, is a reporter on the Jerusalem Post in Israel. He's also written the books about, you know, about Israel bestsellers. And we once had dinner together about every other question, every other point of discussion, 
his comment to me was, so how do you know? How do you know? <laughs> and I finally said to him, hey, hey, you know, you're not reporting now. We're just family. We're just talking, you know. His yeah. instinct was such that, that he kept delving deeper. So, you know, reporting is a fascinating process because you're peering beneath the surface. You're, you're, you're angling for the truth. And you know that the truth isn't always what's spoken. Um, where do you get the skill to do that? Where did that come from? That insight of how to speak to people and how to uh, and find that truth. Uh, well, number one, I love people and I love speaking and talking to people. Uh, and I and I and I ask a lot of questions. My mother jokes that my first word was why. Uh, and so I, I naturally am, I'm, I'm just naturally curious. I'm a naturally curious person. Uh, and I think that helps me. So I, I, I think that is the basis for a lot of the skill that I have, uh, as a reporter. And now, you know, in my life now, in any business, you have to be able to ask the right questions at the right time. I give classes on creative writing, and one of the things I emphasize that I consider curiosity and creativity are synonyms. That creativity needs that curiosity. That's where it comes from. Mm-hmm. Um, so essentially, it's more that your curiosity speaks to another side of you, a creative side. Did you ever see yourself as creative in the sense of going beyond reporting is about facts, getting into the facts, getting to the truth. Creativity is you take the facts and you explore them and you make up stories, whether it's a personal journalism or a novel. Did you ever see that side of yourself or have that curiosity about yourself that you want to explore it further, explore your own curiosity further? Um, I, you know, I never thought of it particularly as creativity until actually fairly recently. And uh, there is, you're absolutely right. There is a creative side uh, to the storytelling part. Uh, I don't have, um, you know, I, we we did write a book in our company. We wrote a, an in a, a trade, sort of a trade publication, business to business book. But my joke used to be that I was going to be famous one day because I'm the only person I know who doesn't have a book in them. <laughs> I've never had that urge. Uh, and maybe it's because I've written so many stories that I, you know, I've, I've satisfied that urge. Uh, so I, I'm, I'm good. I, I think I could use my creativity. I continue to use my creativity uh, every day. So it, it's not something like I feel like I have to go off and do. Okay. Interesting. I will say, though, that I think we're all missing something by you not writing a book, because the one thing I've noticed in my year of very heavy reading, reporters make excellent novelists, and uh, probably because they're very observant and they're trained to see uh, much more than we see on average. So they take in details and they're very good at communicating those details. So if you ever write a book, I'll be a fan of yours. I'll be your first fan, okay? Good to know. I'll, I'll autograph it for you, Charlie. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. So you you end up being a reporter, and was it, it was satisfying, as you said. It was, uh, you were traveling and you were uh, covering different types of stories. There's a certain fascination in that, but you then decided that there's an opportunity to open up a communications company. It, and I think it was in part driven by um, the fact that I was a, a mother of two young children and I was working an, a ridiculous amount of time and uh, and decided that what I really, I saw a need, quite frankly. I was interviewing a lot of brilliant people. I was a medical reporter. So that allowed me in, in Washington, D.C. So I was interviewing people at FDA, at NIH, uh, on Capitol Hill, at HHS, uh, and they were brilliant, and they were science, scientists and doctors and technical to a fault. And I could see that they weren't able to communicate the knowledge that they had to the level that the audience needed to understand. And uh, and this was like in the early 90s. And the 
there was a hunger. This was, you know, really before the internet got started. So there was a real hunger for health news. People really wanted health news. In fact, they had done uh, surveys to find out why people were watching the news. And back then, again, before internet, uh, the number one reason was for the next day's weather report. Right. And the number two reason was which for was never right, by the way, which was never was, right. No. right. Uh, but and the number two reason was for healthcare news. So I saw this amazing gap between all of this knowledge that was there, and and the the need and the desire for that knowledge, and it just wasn't breaking through and being communicated. And so I was basically, while I was interviewing these people, I would turn off the camera and say look, doctor, you can't say myocardial infarction. You have to say heart attack. And so I was starting to already work with them and train them and thought, well, there's a need here to really help people get together and to get this really important information out at the right level. And that's what started the thinking about forming a company. That need, did you see it from the doctor's perspective for him to achieve what he wanted to achieve? Or was it from the consumer perspective to understand? That's a great question. Um, I think it was really driven at the time by the consumers to understand because I was there representing my audience. I was trying to break through and make what he was saying understandable or what she was saying understandable to an audience. I think that has on some level um, morphed in the years after because I think now, of course, my clients are the doctors and the, and the executives. And so now the desire is more to get that information out of them, um, you know, to make that, to get that information to the public. You know, my career has been advertising and I was thinking as I was preparing to speak to you, a synergy or a symmetry in this respect, and, and, and that it comes down to concept. Uh, when I started in advertising no many years ago, uh, I wrote t- television commercials. We were doing 60 seconds. And I remember the day they walked in, they said, well, no longer 60 seconds. From now on, the 30 seconds. And I remember we all looked at each other and said, how do we communicate and motivate people and get them to switch habits in 30 seconds? At the end, I was writing very successful 10-second commercials. And the point being that it, it, it really comes down to the two things, I think. One, the concept behind what the message that you're delivering to, to cut to the essence of what it's about. And two, to be persuasive in how you present it. Um, I would think all communications is similar in that fashion, that, that you find the core concept, like you said, it's not some technical term, it's a heart attack. And people could understand heart attack. And then if you're on the consumer side, what they should do to avoid it. Uh, am I correct? Do you see that, that, that similarity, that, that the essence of what you're doing is communicating the essence of the concept behind it, or you, you have a different language you use? No, I think that's right. And I think, you know, Maya Angelou says, you know, people will forget what you've said and forget what you've uh, done, but they'll never forget how you've made them feel. Right, and right. so I think that concept, communicating the concept and how do you make people feel at the end of the communication is really what drives the approach right. to the communications. That's certainly true in advertising, right? Right, right. So then the question comes, I uh, asked myself as well, uh, and I'm going to throw it at you. Are we being manipulative? And, and by that, I mean as follows. Mm-hmm. We're all honest, and we don't intend to be manipulative. But in one sense, all propaganda works in the same fashion. It's understanding who we're talking to and how to motivate them uh, in the direction that we want to motivate them. So obviously, I want to get people on my airline versus a competitive airline, and I was very successful at doing that. Now, there was no loss to them which airline they went into. In fact, we had certain attributes that the other airline didn't have, so it was a gain for them. But obviously, my goal is to have an agenda behind my writing. When you're on the corporate side, you also have an agenda. Your agenda is to promote whatever the company is promoting. Uh, Is there some sense over there of, of having to stand back and say, I'm doing it for the company and they're the client and I'm competing with other companies and therefore I'm not going to be the judge of what's right or best. I'll let the government decide or the public decide. My job is just to communicate. 
Um, I will tell you that I can't work with companies or executives where I don't believe that they're telling the truth, that I don't believe there's truth behind it. Uh, having said that, I believe all communications is persuasive. I think no matter what we say, uh, we are, and I say that in my, in my sessions to them, that we are trying to persuade. You're not just doing a data dump. You're not right. just giving facts. Right. Let's be honest. You're trying to persuade them. Right. Now, the, the thing is, then I follow that up with, but we can't say anything that is not true or right. provable, right? Right. right. So, so I, I think those two things can live together. Right. Um, but I will tell you, Charlie, that we have as a company turned down um, work in certain industries because we didn't believe in it or didn't feel like right. the truth was right. being right. told. Right. Right. In, in agencies, uh, it's the same. Uh, they, they, I, I always say, you know, the concept of... Uh, uh, truth in advertising, the advertising false is, is a contradiction. All advertising is based on truth because you could lie one time, but you'll never have the consumer come back to you and right. word of mouth, et cetera, et cetera. So for purely business reasons, but the ethics uh, runs across the board. Human beings, I think for the most part, are ethical and want to do the right thing. What I'm fascinated about is that sometimes there are two or three rights, and we're trying to persuade them that our right is a right of choice. And I, I find that just an interesting, I always say challenge. Uh, I'm not speaking to it about from an ethical standpoint, just purely the idea that, uh, that the playing board, we try and tilt it towards ours as being the best, when in reality, there are equal best but we're better persuading people that we're best and that's the best choice. It's an interesting process that goes on in, in communicating. So, so let me ask you this, so going back, you started with your brother and uh, that's interesting. Was your brother also in the field of communications? No, my brother had a financial background, um, but he is a gifted communicator. And so when uh, I approached him, about going into business together. He said, well, you know, communications isn't my background. And I said, you are a, you really are a natural communicator. I can work with you on the process and teach you the process, but I want you to work with me to grow the business because I don't have a business background and I'm not really interested in learning how to grow a business. And so it really was a perfect partnership. Uh, he has since become an incredibly, <laughs> uh, even more accomplished communicator and, and coach. Uh, so that was, I think, the easy part for him as well. But he uh, helped me grow the business from three people in 2003 to 65 plus people today. So it's, it's worked. Yeah, I was going to ask you how you evolved from reporting to running a business. That was my next question. So you leapfrogged it. Uh, do you take any role at all in running the business or just on the communication side? Oh, yeah, we run it together. Uh, we, we, um, we have um, a very good working relationship. And because we really do see the vision the same way and the process the same way in terms of how we are with our, with our people, with our team, um, it really works, you know, incredibly well. I, I don't think it, I, I have to be honest, there was no uh, agenda. In fact, in the very beginning, I said to him, well, you're a business guy, shouldn't we have a business plan? And he said, you know, I have written so many business plans in my life. And I will tell you one thing about all of them is that none of them really are, you know, what you ended up doing. <laughs> and so <laughs> Uh, he said, oh, I don't think we need a business plan. And we've never had a business plan, which I am sure will be you know, to the chagrin of everybody who started a company. Yeah, you, uh, just, threw, you just threw out a, a lot of college courses uh, at, at right. Harvard and Wharton and so on and so forth. I mean, uh, but, but I think, you know, I think we were, number one, I think we were lucky. We trusted each other. It's a great yeah. partnership. Uh, yeah. We are extremely uh, communicative, not surprisingly, with each other. So the second that somebody doesn't like something or isn't comfortable with something, we address it. Uh, and so it's a very dynamic relationship. I, I want to take a moment on this uh, business plan thing. It's interesting, a client of mine of a major software company, he said that to me the other day. They all talk about business plan, business plans, but at the end of the day, it's the business that creates a plan. In other yes. words, you go through different situations and you've got to evolve with the situation. 
and and work your way through. And you can't delineate or put down on paper for you exactly step by step what's going to happen. But on the other hand, the, uh, there is something about having a vision. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I've written many marketing marketing articles. And one of the articles I I wrote I called it Does your business have a GPS? And I referred to the vision, and I referred to many companies, when you go back to their vision mission statement, how clearly they held to those vision. Walmart, uh, Hallmark, uh, I have about 15 companies I listed off the bat, Pentagonia, and so on and so forth. Um, that gives them, and, 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 and we're saying this because the point that I made in that article is that though the many years when I first started, their business has never deviated from that vision. They still operate the same way. They still function to achieve that same vision. So you're saying that you don't have a vision. You 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 just started, uh, or do you have a vision, a particular vision? Oh, we absolutely, we absolutely have um, a vision and 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 a mission. And I think that um, what I was saying was just to be clear that we didn't have a written down. Um, you know, we didn't have a written down uh, a formal, business, formal plan business plan that right. said that said that you know we have to um, we have to do this you know this month and we have to do that that month. And I want to get back to something that you actually said that I think is incredibly important, um, and, and that is that you know when we when we started the company, we knew that there was. Um, there was a need that was driving a business and that when you have that need and it's like somebody once said to me, the best way to start to, to have a successful company is to find an itch and scratch it. And so the thing that I love best about uh, our company is that we are able to look at the people, look at the clients and say, they have something amazing to communicate and we can help them very specifically with the communication of it. They're the people doing the work. We're the people who are going to help them communicate the work. And the, the, the importance of when it really matters, uh, that urgency is our mission statement that that we are helping our clients succeed when it really matters that we take this very complex information that they have to communicate and we turn it into communications that are compelling and purpose driven and that is our mission statement uh you know in in a word uh in a sentence um the vision uh and you know it's we had a vision statement when we first started the company and then um, about a year and a half ago, for the first time, we changed it. And it was the first time we changed it. And the vision really is to help clients with their most important, highest stakes communications. And that is what we care about because we care about the clients succeeding because those clients, especially in healthcare, but in, in many other industries as well, those clients are helping people live better lives. And so we want to be a part of that. So I think we are very clear on our vision and our mission. Okay. So what, what, what's interesting to me is that have you failed along the way? Has there been failures in your company? Have you failed? Oh, I fail a lot. Okay. <laughs> and, and I, and, and, and I learn from it a lot. Um, I think that, the company, fortunately, has been extremely successful, even during COVID, where we were worried in March. There's no question because, like, like the rest of the world, we didn't know what was happening. Um, but I, I think sometimes we we have failed in the past by uh, not realizing how complicated things are, uh, and uh, you know, trying to move and, and simplify things and move quickly into new areas of business. I will say that and I'm going to knock on wood as I say this, um, our successes have far, far outweighed our failures. And the the fact that the company is successful actually gives us the freedom to fail and to fail fast. Okay, uh, because we, we're hungry, Charlie. We don't, 
if you don't fail, it means you're not trying hard enough, yeah. right? Um, but but we keep it moving, we keep it innovative, um, we try different things, and I think that you know at the end of the day, if you have more successes than failures, you've succeeded. So let, let me ask from this particular perspective. Uh, I, I worked in major agencies, both in New York and in Los Angeles. So Los Angeles, our agency focused primarily on entrepreneurial type of companies. We, we loved the underdog. In fact, we turned down Procter & Gamble as a client. Oh. We, we loved the underdog and we did extremely well. And the entrepreneurial spirit and, and the roller coaster ride that they're on there is a story that I came across that was absolutely fascinated. I included it in my article on GPS. And it was, I'll, I'll, I just want to share it with you because it's leading up to a question. It's an amazing story about a Polish officer at the beginning of World War II in uh, Germany over in Poland. And so he was in Poland and he had a choice at that time of staying in Poland under German rule or he lived near the Russian border going into Russia. He elected to go to, into Russia, and he was captured. He was taken. Uh, he was caught as a spy. They consider him a spy uh, by the NKVD. And you can imagine, we're talking about a real Stalin period, the real serious. And and they want him to sign a paper document that he was a spy and refused. And he went through the whole grill. If, you know, you can imagine. I won't go into it for six months, and he still refused to sign. Irrespective, they put him on trial, they gave him 25 years, and they sent him off to Siberia, which took two weeks on the train, two weeks slugging through the snow, and to this outer reach of Siberia, to the big prison camp. He decided, he's 25, he has 25 years, if he survives, he'll be 50, his life is over, he has to escape. Meanwhile, he became friendly with the, the commandant, the Russian commandant of the camp, and the wife. He was helping them with something, and they became friends, because they were, in a sense, in prison as well. They could have been in control, but they were stuck up in Siberia. At some point, the wife asked him, are you trying to escape? So, of course, he's not telling the wife of the commandant he is, and, and he, you know, he, didn't, he said no, and so on. But eventually, he felt there was enough empathy, he could be honest. He said yes. She asked him, which way do you want to go? He said, she said, you can't go that way. You're going to be caught. There are too many people there. You won't have papers. You have to go the other way. Okay, I'll go the other way. And how are you going by myself? No, you need help. So he ended up going with six people. Along the way, they found um, a, a Polish girl, who, a 60-year-old Polish girl, who had also escaped from somewhere. And they were, they were headed for Iran. This is where the point I want to make. They were headed to Iran. They want to be as far away from anything in Russian control as possible. They walked. 4,000 miles across the Gobi Desert, over the mountain, through snow, days without food or water, days without any uh, encampment, uh, guided sometimes by local people. They walked 4,000 miles and eventually four of them made it to Iran. And I always thought that was an interesting analogy for business because there were two things about it that, that, that struck me. That he had a vision. And because of that vision, he was able to go th over through the Gobi Desert. He was able to go over the mountains because he had a clear direction that he wanted to go. And business always has hurdles. And that kept him going. And that's what I meant by the GPS, that business, mm -hmm. I've seen him have hurdles. So do you relate to this? And do you feel that you haven't those, had those type of hurdles? And, and, and your vision is a constant, but it's because of what you want to accomplish. And, and you don't need it to, to get you over the Gobi Desert. Or do you feel yes. you the Gobi Desert? Amazing story, by the way. Um, I, yeah, so I, I, the answer is yes. I think, again, back to the vision, is that the vision for us was very clearly to, we saw the need to really help people communicate the amazing work they were doing uh, so it would affect and improve people's lives. Right, that was a clear north star for us. We knew we had the right process and the right talent and the right skill set to do it. And there's a, a great saying that you know, when you believe in what you do, then you have a moral responsibility to share it with the world. And we really felt like you know, you really need to listen to us because we can help you, we will get you there. And you, what you're doing is important. And by the way, if you don't communicate it well and you hide that light under a bushel, 
the people that you're trying to help are never going to be helped because you're not going to get the information across to them. So that was a, a, you know, a very solid driver of us into succeeding on the vision. In terms of the hurdles, I mean, in, when we started the company, we... Uh, you know, I had I had been a partner in a different company, so I had some seed money. But the goal was, and and I said this to my brother early on: I never want to take out a loan. I never want to take out a loan for this company. And uh, he said, "Okay." And so we, uh, at the time, he was uh, he reminds me putting his groceries on uh, his American Express card <laughs> for a while. <laughs> So we, but we were successful enough from the very beginning and happy to say it has grown and grown and grown and grown steadily. Uh, you know, we're careful, we keep expenses down, but we, um, we're, we're, we're value conscious. I won't say we're cost conscious, we're value conscious, uh, and it's paid off. And so I think we have been very clear with, I like your GPS analogy. I think we've been very clear about where we want to go. Um, and again, I think back to that partnership idea and, and the ability for internal communications, which I think is critical in a company. Uh, and often you don't see that in a C-suite environment where executives communicate effectively with each other. But that is that sets the tone for the entire company and also honesty. And to be able to say to your team members, bring anything, anything to me, be, be open. Because together, if we're open and we're honest with each other, we can fix anything. And so we don't hide bad news in the company. We address teamwork, it. teamwork is a very powerful word and certainly recognized more and more in companies the need for good teamwork. But it's also an art form to a certain degree to balance out the right people, the choice of the right people. I'll tell you another quick story, much shorter. As I use as an, an analogy that Robert Scott, when he went to South Pole to, to, to discover the South Pole, had 100 men with him. Uh, Ronald Andrenson, uh from Norway had uh, 16 people with him. He, uh, Ronald beat uh, Scott by, by two weeks. He was, he was the one who discovered the South Pole, reached it first, I should say. And Scott and most of his men died along the way. So here you had 100 people versus 16, uh, and and the 16 won out. And the reason why is that he had no, Scott had no idea of the people. He just put together a lot of people. I guess he had the funds. He didn't know how their their skills and how they complemented each other. Whereas uh, Amundsen chose each person specifically for their skill and how they work well with the other people. So it was a very cohesive teamwork. With that said, how skilled are you and your brother in developing that type of a, a teamwork? Uh, well, we've, we've been very fortunate um, to bring the right people in at the right time. Uh, you know, many of our projects are staffed for on, on our healthcare projects. Um, the projects are usually led by both the communications lead and a scientific lead. And uh, they're and they're strong people. These are often former clients, and so they have PhDs, MDs, uh, regulatory backgrounds. They are very um, they're expert in their field, and because we trust them, we allow them to go. We got them to lead and go without a lot of um, you know. Uh, I don't want to say supervision, but a lot of you know detail micromanaging. They're adults, they're, they're talented, and they go. And you have to have trust in your team to allow for the teamwork to happen. What about, what about personal uh, egos, agendas, which I find in clients and I find, particularly in big corporations, uh, the, you know, everybody is sort of watching out for himself. Uh, does, uh, how do you, do you, is that apparent in your company? Do you notice that? And how do you deal with it if you do? I don't think it's an ego thing. I think we see pride. I think we see pride in the work. Uh, and But everybody takes that pride from every level. I mean, our our teams on certain projects can be 20 people. And uh, they understand their roles. And we value every level. And we're very conscious. Uh, I'm not saying we're always successful at it. But we're very conscious of really trying to highlight the importance of every single person on that team. And 
and to take and to have them take it seriously and for them to say, you know, it's it's the weakest link concept, right? That the team can't operate if a part of if, if there's one link that isn't really tight. And so um, the other thing is, I will say, I do believe uh, from the very bottom of my heart that we all like each other. And I think liking each other uh, is a very important piece to the teamwork mentality. It's interesting. You know, when you do a commercial, you and I've done hundreds, you have that teamwork for a short period of time. You're all working together cohesively to get the best commercial possible. The production team, the director, the actor, the producer from the agency, yourself, the writer, the art director. It's a marvelous family feeling. And if I miss anything about that, that, that cohesion is something very special in life, to, to be a unit, to, to work together. And I think, interestingly, similar fashion, if you ever speak to uh, soldiers who actually, you know, spend time in a war, they'll always say that they, there's, that was the best time of their lives in a certain <laughs> way. Because they had that unit and they had that connectivity and, and it just reinforced their, their own self. So to speak. So, so I understand what you're saying. They've been able to uh, work in symmetry and in synergy and and to validate each other is uh, very successful. I, frankly speaking, I have to admit you are a very successful woman. Uh, uh, you are very fortunate. You and your brother in yep. in, in, in what you've built, and I think no question, a lot of a lot of it comes from your own character and your own brother's character, which is the next question I want to ask. Where do you see yourself in terms of when you look at the company? You see yourself. What have you imparted in the company besides the communication skills? That, that you could say uh, layers over the company, and perhaps I would say you and your brother, but I want to start with you alone, singularly. What have you contributed to the whole of your company? Um, well, I hope I've contributed to the culture of the company by, and I want to go back to the openness and caring about people, because uh, we really do see ourselves as a family. And, you know, I will tell you when COVID hit, that even got stronger because um, we had somebody who worked at our company, actually before my brother, she, she came with me from the other company and she got hit with COVID, was ended up in the hospital, was almost put on a respirator. And it was such a blow. And she touched, she's, our, she's our, bookkeeper, uh, person, our bookkeeper on steroids. Uh, and so she touches everybody in the company. And the effect that it had was so personal. So I would like to think that that, that, that personal touch uh, the importance of connectivity, teamwork, and family. Uh, we're, we're also, a, I have a very close family, uh, maybe not surprisingly Italian background. I think that, you know, family is very important. I think that family idea is what we have really tried to embed in the company. You mentioned in our interview that we did uh, in Authority Magazine that when I asked you what book you read, you mentioned Gone with the Wind and that you admire Scarlett O'Hara as being a very strong woman. You're also involved with visions of the world and uh, with women and visions of the world. Tell me about that. What, 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 and I'm thinking back to what you said early on that when you were growing up, there really weren't many roles for women to play. Did that, part of that, a sense that you felt uh, denied and that really women could play a much bigger role in life and and you're inspired by those women who have done it, and and that's how you see, in a sense, living out your life as a Scarlett O'Hara. Well, you know, I I, I want to clarify something on the Scarlett O'Hara uh, conversation that we had in the last interview because right after that interview, um, you may remember <laughs> that interview mm -hmm. happened uh, before the protests and Black Lives Matter and everything. And I have a very a very good friend who's African-American who read that interview and said, you know, Cindy, I'm really upset about the Scarlett O'Hara Gone with the Wind reference because oh, oh, yeah. it okay. was easy. It was easy for Scarlett O'Hara to be successful <laughs> because she was white. And I said, yeah. point taken. I'm always because, learning. You're right. right. I'm not going right. to use that analogy anymore. Right. Okay. I'll pull uh, back from that. I, I, will, I will just say that I never took it in that fashion at all, but I'll pull back from that language. Just right. go back. 
So let's go but, back to women in the world and, and your role in that. And, yeah. and go back to the early years when you felt all you could be was either a nurse or a secretary. Yeah, I, I think it was very it was it was very formative of my of my um my belief system. And also, Charlie, I'll let you know now that more than 50, probably 60% of the company is women right now in our company. And it's often, it's, it's because it was started by a woman, right? And so when that happens, um, you, you, you carry that through. And as I said, as I mentioned, you know, I'm hundred percent Italian. I come from an Italian family where my father was, you know, a, a lovely man, but you know, old school. And so I think from a very early age, even before high school, I was always fighting the stereotype. And, you know, I grew up in the seventies where this was, you know, uh, women's, uh, women's rights were a big issue. And so I think all of that formed, uh, and inspired me. Uh, I also have two daughters. And so, uh, women, young women and girls are actually from, uh, and you can guess this from strong women, strong world, um, uh, is a passion of mine to help and to help them find their voice, uh, and to help them be heard. Uh, because I think that it's a, a lot easier now, but it's not, it's not, uh, you know, it's not, it's still there. And so, yes, um, uh, the, the whole idea of the good girl versus the, the loud mouth girl, uh, you know, the brave girl, uh, woman, uh, it, it's still an issue and uh, it's still something that I listen for. And when we are coaching executives who are fortunately increasingly female, but not to the point where they, you know, where they need to be, um, you're still finding remnants of that, of, of women who are, uh, more careful, afraid to speak out, afraid to speak out certain ways. Uh, you know, we see it in elections where uh, when, when a female politician speaks versus a male politician speaks, uh, the expectations are different, the judgment is different. Uh, you see it in business. Uh, and so it's something from, as a, from a communications perspective that I'm very attuned to. Uh, and, you know, we really try to work with women on. I, I think that lifting up any human being is a very worthy purpose in life and inspiring human beings to to achieve their potential as you're doing. Uh, and, and I always admire teachers, especially, because yeah. they're so underrated, and yet how many children have succeeded because the teacher gave them a pat on the back, so to speak, and encouraged them, and so on and so forth. Uh, <clears throat> I, 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 I see that very clearly. Um, I'm just curious, though, in... in, in, in let me veer off for a second. In fact, let me uh, something that is uh, ringing in my mind. Uh, I have you ever thought of being an actress or an actor? No. <laughs> the reason why I say that is because your diction is so perfect, and uh, reminds me of you know the many actors I work with because obviously pronunciation, uh, clarity in speech is so critical. And the reason why I ask that, is that something that you teach your clients as well in the presentation, or is it more just about the, the, the words that they communicate, or is it the oh, message? No, oh, no, we, have, we heavily, everything starts, as far as I'm concerned, communication starts with the right content, that you have to have not just the, the words and the information, but the, the storytelling, the language, the sound bites, the headlines have to be crafted. And from an advertising perspective, I'm sure you're very attuned to that. Uh, but the delivery uh, is the voice tone, body language is absolutely critical. And, um, you know, you, we, we all know all too well how very, very good messages often fall flat when the delivery isn't compelling and persuasive and interesting. So the words and pictures have to match. Um, uh, you know, I, I, I think I'd be a terrible actress because I really am wear my heart on my sleeve. And so I, I know one thing, and that is what I, my version of the truth, right? So I don't make up things very well. I didn't, okay. I'm not creative when it comes to that. Uh, but I think that the delivery and, you know, the delivery, by the way, starts with internal, not external, uh, tapping so, into let, believing it. 
Let me ask you this. I, you know, when people will listen to this interview, they're going to notice a vast difference between your speech and my speech. I am a Brooklyn boy, uh, <laughs> and and when I'm not speaking as I am, uh, I have a lower voice. Uh, I don't always speak with the greatest clarity. But when I get into position as with an agency to make a presentation, I rise to the situation because I'm verbal and I'm visual and I, and I understand persuasion and so on. So I had innately the skills. But you have doctors, you have uh, executives who don't by instinct necessarily have that type of a, uh, of a skill. They they know all the data and they can look under a microscope, etc. How do you transform them to being able to make a good presentation? Well, I have a very powerful tool because I put them on camera. And so they see themselves. And so normally uh, what we do is we let them go first and just deliver the way they normally would. And then they see it. And then we stop the camera and say, so what do you think? <laughs> and so then, you know, how they think they're coming across versus how they're coming across is usually, it's eye-opening. It's very different. Uh, and then the other thing is, is that I'm not trying, I am not trying to turn people into actors and actresses. I'm not trying to turn them into, quote, professional speakers that sound super slick. I'm trying to get them to connect with their truth and connect with their passion. And normally these executives and scientists and doctors, they went into this field because they have passion and belief in what they're doing. The problem they've had normally in the past is they haven't communicated the passion and connected it with the content. And so I think our goal and our vision and our role uh, as a communications company is to help them connect those dots so that when they're up there, they are authentic because they're tapping into the feeling that they're bringing to their work. When they deliver it in the fashion that you said, I would assume that in many instances, the people sitting uh, and listening are judging that against other options in the health field uh, or whether to fund it, let's say, if, if I'm correct, or whether to, to give it a go ahead from the FDA or something of that nature. Uh, does that require for them the ability to persuade in a sense uh, that, that we are simply the best or does the passion alone do it or is it you don't try and persuade them ultimately they're going to make their own judgment you want to make your best presentation well you know i always ask the people we're coaching whether they believe in what they're doing and whether they believe in what they're saying and of course the answer is yes and if the answer is no then then we should stop right there right, right. and so when the answer is yes uh, and we work from that perspective, what we say to them is, if you don't, if you can't get your audience to believe you believe it, they're not going to believe it. So mm -hmm. stop worrying about persuading them, okay, right now, and focus on how do you tap into your belief so that you're communicating whatever you're saying in a way that the audience says, wow, he believes it, she believes it, because that's step one. And that's usually where the magic happens. The health industry is a wonderful industry to be focused on, obviously. You're in position to help millions of people. But have you ever thought of transferring that same capability to industries as well? Or are you staying focused on the health industry? No, we actually have. Um, uh, over the years, we've worked with many industries, mostly highly technical industries. So technology, um, finance healthcare. Our focus has always been, and we've been actively marketing in healthcare because that was the origins of the company. That was my background. But about a year and a half ago, we actually um, developed a different division of the company called 3D Executive Communications, where it's much broader across all industries. And again, the connective tissue, the, the thing that's common among all of them and where we really shine is the more difficult your message or the more complex your message, uh, the better it is for us, the higher value for us to really 
deliver, help you deliver it to whatever level of audience you need to. We're very good at taking complex information and making it simple and persuasive. So where do do you fit in? By that, I mean you hire technical experts, let's say, in that particular field who know the industry and the technology fairly well. I would assume that you don't have a technical background and there's only so much you could learn uh, reading. Do you get involved in, 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 at what stage could you get involved with them? One stage you'd have to stand back in guiding them because you, and I'm assuming this, you can tell me if I'm wrong, that you don't necessarily have the complete compre- comprehension of that particular technology or that particular health issue. Uh, well, I think I think we do actually. I think on the on the healthcare side, let's just take that as an example. Uh, we can branch out a little bit broader after that. But on the healthcare side, uh, as I said, we have former pharmaceutical executives, PhDs, right? I MPs, right. My question, is, my question is you, you personally. You oh, personally. Give- well, personally. So I consider myself a translator. So I'm the commu- if I'm a communications, the communications lead on the project, I already have a scientific lead on the project. Mm-hmm. By the way, the client, they are the technical experts, right? So our right. job is to pull it out of them, to translate it, to ask them the question. So all that, that background of knowing how to ask the question, get the information and turn it into language, that right. is compelling. That's our specialty. I see. I see. Very clear. And you're doing the same now in technology. Uh, have you touched on, on cybersecurity? I'm just curious. Um, we have done we have done trainings on cybersecurity. We have done trainings on uh, technology. We've worked with all the big technology companies. You know names you're probably aware of. Um, and you know it, it, it's interesting though, Charlie. It always comes down to the same thing, which is what level of the audience do you have, and are those people going to be able to walk out and understand what you've said? And if they're if they're walking out the door and they're talking to each other, when they talk to each other. Are they saying, yeah, Charlie said this? Are they in agreement with what they heard? How do we simplify it and still keep it honest? Interesting. Okay, so you have no desire to switch over to Madison Avenue, I assume. No, I'm I'm really, really happy where <laughs> I am. <laughs> it was just a lead. Uh, I, I want to thank you for your time. I think it was a privilege that you took time off on, on this holiday weekend, and, and I very much appreciate it. And uh, I'm not going to wish you success. I'm going to wish you continued success. Thank you. Because obviously you've been quite successful, and you're going in that fashion, I'm sure. Uh, it will keep growing and growing. You're very fortunate in having this wonderful relationship both with your brother and the rest of your team. Uh, it is certainly something to be very grateful for, and I'm sure you are. And again, just have continued success. And uh, Charlie, thank you. To, to talk to you again. Thank you for this opportunity. It's, it was wonderful speaking to you. A pleasure to, to take the, some time off today. And uh, yeah, I'm very, very grateful for the team we have. It's right. it's a it's a it's a love affair for sure. <laughs> okay, thank you. Have a great day. Take you care. Too. This is CEO Speaks. We just spoke to Cindy DiBiase, president and co-founder of C3D Communication. Thank you for joining Charlie Katz, our executive extraordinaire, in yet another insightful interview. Be sure to check out more stories from CEOs across the country at bitbean.com forward slash CEOs speak to learn more about what it takes to get to the top and stay there.